You are listening to the AI with Maribel Lopez podcast or AI with ML. If this is your first time listening, thank you for joining. The AI with ML podcast is produced bi-weekly with occasional bonus episodes. This podcast shares the stories of the people behind the new world of data and AI. What are they creating and why does it matter? If you like this episode, please subscribe so you can easily find the podcast again. You can also share your feedback and ideas with me on Twitter and LinkedIn. All links are in the show notes. Extended show notes can be found at AIwithML.com slash podcast. I hope you'll enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. As always, I'm excited to have new and interesting guests on, and I'm joined here today by Sharon Mandel. Sharon is the Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer leading Juniper Network's Global Information Technology Team. Always great to be joined by a fabulous woman in tech leader. Welcome to the program, Sharon. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is that Juniper recently released a study that I'll provide a link to in the show notes. But from this research, it was talking about AI, and I was wondering, what trends are you seeing in AI? Yeah, so just ever-increasing adoption, of course. It's growing like a weed. And people are starting to feel like they're achieving their goals. So this year, 63% of company leaders surveyed said that they are at least most of the way towards their planned adoption goals. And a huge number, 94%, say that their organizations are at least moderately reliant on AI to perform tasks that help with decision-making, with a few, 6%, indicating they're only a little bit reliant. It's not just that it's being widely used, but it's kind of becoming core to the operations. We think that there's you know, several reasons for this, uh, pandemic-related digital acceleration, successful proof-of-concept projects, and and just the increasing maturity of AI tools available, not just to technologists, but how it's embedded in, in many, many applications kind of out of the box. What I found really interesting about this study is that we finally sort of crossed the chasm where we were talking about AI for so long and people thought that AI was science fiction. And now we've kind of moved out of that because we're starting to see some real practical applications of AI. And you talked about people having a successful proof of concept and then trying to expand those and make them more part of the organization And one of the big changes I think that we've had is the move from thinking of it as AI as this big future thing that is all-knowing and does everything to intelligence, better intelligence in our existing products and services and how that can help guide us through things. And I think that, you know, your company has done a lot of work on this. But one of the things I wanted to maybe follow up on is, you know, we've seen that AI adoption, if you look at your study, was very high in areas such as networking and cloud compared to, say, maybe some other areas like manufacturing or sales. Any thoughts on why that is? Technology often 
plays with technology first, right? Because it's in its earlier days, you maybe need more technical skills to start to get into it. But I think that the other thing that you're seeing in networking and cloud is those two fields are all about scale, right? You're not dealing with one or two devices. There's scale and complexity in both of them. And what humans aren't good at and machines are good at is dealing with huge quantities of data. And so I think you're seeing the adoption there because the volume of data in order to manage large networks and large cloud infrastructures is so high that the only way to do it is by having machines parse through the data and look for the patterns and help us see the intelligence that we could just never get to ourselves in a rational amount of time. And so this allows networks to self-discover, self-configure, self-monitor, self-correct, right? Where humans would just be teasing through the data for days, weeks at a time to solve the problem. And, And often the fix would be very simple, but the amount of time to get to knowing what the fix was was extraordinarily challenging. And and cloud is very similar. You know, people are running thousands and thousands of instances of things in the cloud and have to manage all the events that are going on with that. So I think these tools really help us get to the heart of the matter and then do what is the well-understood change by a person afterwards. But if it's a well-understood change, then a machine can do that too. So you're obviously a CIO and you're the target market for AI right now. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of change and difference, but I'm curious to how are you thinking or feeling about AI now versus in the past? Are there different things you're thinking it can do or help you in your organization? Yeah, the way I think about it is IT has notoriously had a bad reputation inside companies for not having great customer experience. And I really think AI can free up the time for the employees in IT to really spend the time focused on what the user needs and wants by clearing a lot of the detritus out of the way, right? So in a typical help desk application, you used to force the user to answer a hundred different questions in order to just get to a simple, can you help me change my password? (laughs) We ought to know who that person is, what context they're in. The data is all there. And so kind of how can you marshal that data to make it so that it's much more of all of that work is done in advance. And if the system can solve the problem instantaneously, which is always gratifying because you just get your problem solved and you move on. That's great. But then by the time you reach somebody who you might actually need to talk to to help you, you're not already frustrated by the experience in addition to the challenge that you have. And maybe we treat each other more like people right? (laughs) instead of a set of tasks. So I just really think this use of data and applying algorithms to it really ought to change the game and, and again, maybe make the customer experience inside a company like the customer experience we expect outside, whether it's from web applications that we find really sexy and exciting in the consumer space or, you know, how we expect our service providers and the places we buy things, you know, and how that treats us. Now, you are both a 
technology consumer as a CIO, but also a technology provider as a company. And I'm wondering, you probably have a unique perspective on this because you're both, but what are you considering some of the key AI challenges today? Because obviously the market's moving very quickly and that goalpost keeps moving. I think some of the key challenges, they fall in two areas, right? One is all about the base data you have and the quality of that data to actually create great AI solutions, right? So you, you'll read a lot about that. But the other major area is technology sometimes has a tendency to get a little ahead of our ability to use it in a, a humane way, right? So there's a gap today in the adoption rates of AI with sort of the governance aspect and the oversight of how that's used in companies and governments and with people's information. So I mentioned before the accelerating adoption rates of the tools that we're seeing, but only 9% of these 700 IT leaders who took the survey consider their governance policies as mature as their adoption policies. Because there's some inherent risks, and they start with that other challenge I talked about is, you know, it's garbage in, garbage out. What's the quality of your data set? Is it representative of all the people who are going to use your solution or have decisions made about them in your solutions? Are you feeding it the right stuff to make the decisions correctly? or And is it secure so people can't break in and modify that? Are you monitoring your algorithms for drift? So there's many aspects, as well as just making it transparent and visible that AI is being used in a decision being made. Those governance risks, I think, are probably, and the regulation and the attempts to regulate AI in some parts of the world really highlight how hard it is to make these decisions and separate high-risk applications from those that aren't and make those decisions. So I think that's what's going to come to roost in the coming years. You know, you brought up so many good points, and some of them have sort of persisted over time. But the governance point that you bring up is really interesting, particularly we talk to a lot of multinational companies and the rules and regulations that are being proposed or in effect are very different depending on where you are. So I think that in 2023, there's going to be a lot more discussion of governance. So we've got explainability, transparency, governance. We're talking to a lot of people. You mentioned the garbage in, garbage out concept. I think data quality management has always been a problem, but now with the speed and acceleration of AI and the model training, you really have to worry about that data and the quality of that data and the lineage of the data. So we're talking to a lot of organizations about that. You know, there are these whole new disciplines around how do we think about an AI model lifecycle, much the way we thought of creating a software development lifecycle. And there's been lots of tools that have been created around that recently. So I'm pretty optimistic about tools being created for all of the challenges. But it is one of those things where sometimes I think you just have to sit there and think, okay, like what do we need to recreate that we've had before that doesn't work in this environment now? So now that we're actually in it, to your point, we're starting to see organizations actually do things. I think some of these challenges that we've discussed before weren't really as apparent to organizations. And so now we're, we've got some changes that are going around that. Having said that, you're out there talking to people, you're working with it as well. What are some of the things that 
companies are doing well related to AI today? Well, you know, I think the companies that get it right have a very outcomes-based approach to AI. It's not, we all get excited about sexy new technology and have a tendency to go straight to hands-on keyboard, right? But, you know, really understanding the problem that you're trying to solve and having that clear vision in mind of what you're trying to accomplish so that you carefully identify and weigh the specific areas of the business where AI can have the right impact, right? Because whenever we bring in technology too soon without that focus, often a lot of money is spent, time is spent, and then people are disappointed with the outcome. So I think that directional focus is very, very important. In the case of our customers, we're just seeing them change the dynamic completely of managing the network by almost entirely eliminating up to 90% of tickets while deploying solutions and, and managing them, being able to change the time to value from when a product arrives to when it's actually impacting a customer. So setting up a data center in minutes instead of days and weeks, things taking, again, being solved proactively before the problem's even reported. So it's kind of really identifying where it is you want to change that dynamic and seeing if there's an AI solution or an algorithm that when fed the right data can actually go solve that problem for you. So, you know, when I hear from our team how they thought about MIST, these guys had been working in Wi-Fi for years, and yet they kept solving the same kind of top 10 problems were the most annoying. So they really went out and in a very focused way said, well, what data would we need to solve that? Oh, that data is available. Is there an algorithm <laughs> that you can apply to that data to solve that problem. And they just kind of knocked them down one by one. And so it's it's such a great story because it was that focus. And it was like really understanding what the pain point was and kind of honing in on a, a very methodical set of questions to go solve it. I knew in the past we talked about AI impacting the workforce and it was sort of considered a negative thing In what ways do you think AI will impact the workforce today? Yeah, I think everybody always wants to know, am I going to lose my job because of AI? (laughs) AI is so often used to proactively automate things and automate at scale. So we've been automating things in IT and with technology for years. I think you made the point. It's the pace and the scale at which you can automate and make these decisions today is just radically different because of compute power, cloud, and new architectures. So it would be naive to say no jobs are going to be eliminated through automation. But I think, again, you know, if you go back to the question of what are companies who are doing it right, (laughs) I don't think it's like, oh, how am I going to cut my cost? (laughs) It's how am I going to make my business better, right? And how am I going to use my people for what they're best at? So I think While some jobs are lost, new jobs are created because now with that time and that money you have freed up, you're actually going and, again, solving real problems that have quantifiable impact, that have customer experience impact. And our study, you know, really showed that, right? So more than half the respondents, 
I think 55% said AI allows employees to focus on being more innovative. It brings them new skills. And because they're not doing the routine work that machines can do, they become more engaged in their work and they're more engaged employees and more engagement tends to lead to more productivity. So I also think that a lot of respondents believe that AI will assist in reducing risk and increasing quality because things are more repeatable. The thing with AI is, or with any automation, is if you automate it right, it'll get done the same way over and over and over again. And again, you have to monitor the data for drift and things to make sure, or, you know, sometimes events like a pandemic can shift (laughs) behaviors so that the data you're using to kind of look to the future may not represent the future anymore. So you do have to be careful. But if, you know, you automate something incorrectly, then it has problems at scale. But when you get it right, it's right always. It's not two people don't read a set of instructions and interpret them differently, right? It's you get this consistency through it that can be magical for the right kinds of problems. Now, I know we were talking about issues such as governance and other things earlier, but are there other items that you think organizations need to do to prepare for embracing AI in their company? Yeah. Again, every organization is a little bit different and has different requirements and expectations of it. And perhaps the AI application that they're either producing for customers or using in-house has a higher level of risk. Not everybody should do things the same way, but I think that the first thing is to have a set of principles that are clearly stated that guide how one utilizes AI and creates AI solutions. And so at Juniper, we've been through that process of in a very cross-functional way, not just, you know, what do tech people think, but, and what do product people think, but what does legal think? What does HR think? You know, we've had a broad set of people create those principles that you can find on our website. And now that we've published them, it's a forcing function for us to now go do the work to make sure we live up to them. So, You know, there was a lot of debate about, well, when do we publish them? Do we have everything that proves that first? And I think we said, well, let's get them out there. And then we're starting to now go through the journey of, you know, I think first it's education. What does AI mean in your company? How do you define AI? And how do you drive it into education and have it be appropriate for the different stakeholders in the audience, right? So engineers building a product have a level of depth and breadth that they have to understand that's a little bit different than maybe the broader business users in a company. But those broader business users, if they're involved in making technology decisions, well, then they have to be able to ask the right questions of their vendors who may have AI embedded in their products, right? IT doesn't make all the decisions today centrally, right? So, you, And then driving it through our compliance training right? You know, what does it mean? So we're working on that. And what we're seeing is, you know, we're seeing outside the investors and the shareholders starting to ask questions about this as almost an ESG issue. So there might be financial implications to your company if you don't have an approach. So, and then there's all the technical things. We're performing audits to make sure we understand where everywhere in the company AI is being used, whether it's in the products or across the systems. 
We have an initiative around securing our AI. So there's a series of steps I think every company can start to look at and decide the level and degree. And we also have a group, that group of people that created the principles has expanded and we're meeting quarterly. And it's not some big formal, sometimes you say governance and everybody thinks bureaucracy. It's it's about continually to update yourself on what's going on in the regulatory space, what new applications are we bringing in, what new considerations have we heard, what new things are we reading, what research is out there. So it just allows this core group to get together and figure out what the next steps need to be and what information do we have to disseminate to make sure we're, we're living up to our goals in this space. So there are so many things going on in the AI field right now, and I know that you've been looking at this, but are there specific research projects or other things in the field that excite you right now? Yeah, I'd say there's kind of two areas of research I'm trying to follow. One is around this concept of synthetic data and how do you create good data that's hopefully not biased in in a way that's negative because you can't always get to the things you want, right? With all the regulation around privacy and whatnot, or you can't always get to the scale you want. So that's an interesting space. And the other space that's very important to me is the CIO is how do we secure these things? So we spend so much time in a company like ours thinking about how do we keep data inside the company, (laughs) right? How does our customer data not leak? How does our intellectual property not get out? But AI has a little bit of a twist, right? How do you make sure that the data sources you may be buying aren't corrupt? How do you make sure that things aren't getting in? And that's a little bit different problem to notice that the data hasn't changed in a negative way through outside intervention than to keep somebody from extracting it from you. So there's a lot of new things going on in that space. And I try to follow that. Microsoft has some good research from their kind of internal R&D team that I've been following. That's great. You're following a lot of the things that I've been trying to follow as well. And we have come to that time in the podcast. And it's the bonus question time. I don't know why I call it the bonus question, because honestly, I do ask it every podcast. So maybe it's just the closing question. And that's, you know, can you recommend a book, a podcast or activity that the audience should know about? Recently, a book was published called Ethical Machines by Reed Blackman. And I think given what we've just been talking about, that's something I've got on the bedside table and I'm working my way through. Also, there's a woman named Cassie, and I'm going to pronounce her name wrong, and I apologize to her many times in advance, Kozierkov. She is the chief decision scientist at Google. And she has done this amazing series of learning videos about AI and machine learning and data science. She writes a lot of articles. I think she's awesome. She asks intriguing questions. And then on the concept of data management, which is really important, uh, there's a guy, Bill Schmarzo, who calls himself the Dean of Big Data, and he's written a number of books. So recommend anything from any of those people. Those are some great titles. I can't actually wait to uh, get my hands on them because I could use a a new read in this space. And I've tried to come up with cool things like, you know, Dean of AI would be really cool, but 
I guess, you know, AI with ML was like my take on as cool as I could get in this whole thing, because, you know, Maribel Lopez does lead nicely into the ML concepts. I took advantage of that. But Sharon, thank you so much for your time and your insight. And I'm really excited to see what you guys create next. And I'll share the research report and links to everything that you mentioned in the show notes. And we look forward to having you on the program at some future date. Well, thanks again for having me. It's been great to talk to you. And I hadn't made the ML connection there, but that's terrific. (laughs) It's awesome. Here we are. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I could do that. Yeah. Well, thanks again. Bye, everybody. And until next time. Thank you for listening. Show notes, subscription links, and additional content can be found at AIwithML.com slash podcast. Until next time, wishing you all the best. 